Hi, and welcome to Way Too Seriously, the podcast where we watch kids' movies and then take them way too seriously. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this week we watched and we'll be talking about Ferdinand. Jan, do you want to tell us a bit about this movie? Sure. Ferdinand is a 2017 movie produced by Blue Sky Studios and distributed by Fox. The film is based on the children's book, The Story of Ferdinand, which was written by Monroe Leaf and Robert Lawson. The movie was directed by Carlos Saldana and written by Robert L. Baird, Tim Federell, and Brad Copeland. It stars the voices of many, many people, including John Cena, Kate McKinnon, Gina Rodriguez, David Diggs, Gabriel Iglesias, Anthony Anderson, Peyton Manning, David Tennant, and so many others that I can't name all of them. Would you like to tell us a little bit about the plot of Ferdinand, Paul? Yes. (laughs) Ferdinand the Bull likes to smell flowers instead of fight. He runs away from the ranch where bulls are trained to participate in bullfights and lives a happy, idyllic life with a young girl on a farm. But when he accidentally goes on a rampage in a town, he is brought back to the ranch where he's forced to participate in a bullfight. He refuses to fight, leads all the bulls to freedom, and returns to his life smelling flowers just quietly. So, objectively, talking about the quality of this movie called Ferdinand, what do you think? Is it a good movie? Bad movie? Why don't we start with uh, the visuals, with the Mm -hmm. animation. Mm -hmm. I think there are moments of real uh, beauty in this movie, Mm -hmm. visually. I think uh, the one shot, I mean, the one landscape moment that's very reminiscent of the book, of the hillside with a tree that looks just like the book and Ferdinand sitting by it, like they pull that off very well. I don't think this is a write home about a beautiful movie, but I think that the visuals are done quite well. I don't think it's outstanding, breathtaking in the way that we've sometimes talked about some movies in the past, Mm -hmm. but I think it's quite good visually. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, the studio who did this is Blue Sky, who are Ice Age, Rio, the Peanuts movie. And so like, this is kind of their house style. Yeah. The like kind of standard cartoony looking animation, 3D animation. It's not like, you know, something to necessarily write home about, but it's all, but it's not bad. It's good. No. Good animation. And all of those movies you just named are quite good looking. Hmm. And have steadily improved. Like, definitely, this is much better than the first Ice Age, for yeah. example. I, would call, I mean, like, when it comes to visuals, I'm always looking at and thinking about both the design and conception and the uh, execution. And, mm-hmm. like, the execution has no doubt gotten better. The yeah. technology's gotten better. Yeah, everything's exactly. smoother. Ice Age is well-designed. All the characters are memorable and well like imagined uh the main characters 
Um, I think that Blue Sky's best looking movie is Peanuts. Mm-hmm. But this is good. Yeah. Like the the bulls, for example, have a distinctive visual. Each bull distinctively looks different from each other bull. You don't confuse one with another one. And even when they grow up from calves into bulls, it's easy to tell which bull is which. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that takes some uh, design skill. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Some artistic talent is definitely necessary for this movie. There's a lot of talent involved in the voice uh, performances in this movie. A lot Mm -hmm. of names that I have fondness for. How do you think that they are doing in this movie? I think the voice actors, actors, yeah, seem to be having a lot of fun with this movie. Uh, John Cena is like a wrestler. He's I think so. famous for athleticism, which I do not follow. <laughs> <laughs> yep. When I rent, when I took this movie out, my coworker was like, "Oh, John Cena's in that. Isn't that weird?" And I was like, "I know who John Cena is. Yes, <laughs> that is weird." <laughs> um, but I think he's doing a great job. Like he's he's a big beefy guy playing a big beefy uh, bull. Which is fun. I don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> I think he's doing a fine job. I don't think he, to my judgment, I don't think he's a standout performance. Mm-hmm. I think he's doing fine. I think it's kind the, of stunt casting. I think the standout performance of this in voices is Kate McKinnon. I think the two, the goat, the two that stand out to me are Kate McKinnon and David Tennant. Yeah, absolutely. And everyone else, to be honest, like I said, there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of names that I have liked in other things, but I don't think anyone's doing a partic- anyone else is doing a particularly great job in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like Gina Rodriguez, who is Jane in Jane the Virgin, I love her, but like in this movie, she's forgettable. Yeah. And likewise, David Diggs is one of the hedge- hedgehogs. And uh, if you listen to our episode about Wonder, where we inexplicably ra- raved about him, even <laughs> though he was, like, just fine in that movie, he didn't stand out. <laughs> but I love him and think he's great. But, like, in this movie, it could have been anyone. He didn't stand out at all. Yeah, it's true. And, like, basically, except for Kate McKinnon and David Tennant, I don't think any other of the voice actors stood out. They were doing fine. I liked the brief, I can't remember the actor's name, but the, um, the matador. Yeah. I liked his performance and I liked his, uh, over the top, like, every part of me is, I can't remember the word he uses. Yeah, is my weapon. Is my weapon. And the way he delivers that line is just quite good. Yeah, he was fine. He was even good. I don't think that he, to, I don't judge his performance as being, you know, right home about, but it was be- probably the, better than I the average the in the small movie. Amount, the small amount of lines he had, I think he did a great job. I think that was, his delivery was excellent. All right. So I, that's my judgment of that. I think that the writing of this movie was mediocre at best. Mm-hmm. I think mediocre is generous. I think that this is something we talked about with Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, mm-hmm. which is 
this is a book, this is a movie based on a picture book. Mm -hmm. Picture books are short, their plots are extremely simple, generally, and therefore adapting them into a movie, you have to add characters, you have to add tension, you have to add all this extra plot, and it's very difficult to do. Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs was successful. This one, not as much. Yeah, and I don't uh, deny or dispute that, like, it was a difficult task. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they did it. Yeah. I think both in terms of, like, the story and plotting aspect of writing and in terms of the script, and we should talk one at a time. In terms of plotting, this, like, they added quite a lot and it still felt like it was, like... They were padding even the stuff that they added to the mm-hmm. plot. Like they add a whole thing about his father was a bull fi- was a fighting bull and a bunch of other bulls who are in competition with him. And they add him running away from the ranch and they add the girl and the farm and his life on the farm and his friend who's a dog and him going to the town and him uh, returning to the ranch and the bullfighter has a story and they go on a chase escape from the ranch and then they return again to the bullfight and even with all of those extra story beats there was still seemed to me like interminable connective tissue between each one of those moments absolutely absolutely so like all of that extra was not enough extra they ended up with a movie that was 40 minutes long. And so they have like long, let's be in the car. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's extend this chase scene on forever. Let's have him in the China shop for a long time with the woman not seeing him yep. and drag out that joke until it's drag can be dragged out no further. And his rampage through the town that like, Honestly, I think it was a 10-minute rampage through the town, Mm -hmm. which, like, didn't gain anything by being that long. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that's my, like, in terms of the script, like, there were maybe a few lines that were okay. I... It was there was some funny moments and some visual gags that I in that I think were worked really well. In terms of the comedy, I genuinely laughed at the uh when the one bull who was made in a lab and has no feelings like joins the dance off and does the robot basically. Mm-hmm. That was a good visual gag. But that dance scene Went on at least five times longer than it should have. <laughs> See, the the dance scene was the one scene that I really liked. It was fine. It was good. It was fine. It was good even, it, except it that it went on and on and on and on and on. Like, it was just, the plot was kind of a disaster. Yeah. Mostly because, I mean, for other reasons too, but the biggest disaster of it was that it was thin mm-hmm. and padded. Yeah. So, moving on from... That object, that ever so objective, objective judgment. That was How objective. Much it, like it was a padded yeah. plot. That's an objective truth about how this story is put together. I know. What did you think in terms of your actual opinion of this movie? My personal enjoyment of your it. Personal, was it a lot of bull? 
It was. I did not enjoy this movie very much, Jen. No. <laughs> no. My moments of like joy, uh, real engagement with the story, with this movie, were pretty few and far between. Hmm. I found it boring to me personally. That's a personal rather than objective. Even when it was story happening, I was like yawn. Hmm. I think I liked it a little more than you. Clear. I mean, I could tell at the time that you were liking it more than I was. Yeah. Even though I did not off for a little bit there. <laughs> I think you fell asleep, which that never happens. That never happens. I think I didn't say it in the objective because I think it might be a personal taste partly, but I actually think it's both. <laughs> that is, I think objectively the music was pretty bad. And I think by personal taste, I liked it even less than how objectively good it was. There was music in it? Like soundtrack pieces hmm. where like, you know, the fight, the chase scene had a big like, I'm free, I'm on my own, la 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 la. <laughs> <laughs> And they were all like very, very generic hip hop songs. Mm. They're like so flat and generic that they're really forgettable. Yeah. And that's why the dance scene too, that like the dance scene was kind of visually fun, but musically it was very unengaging. Yeah. And I think that's partly just actually the case about the music, but I also will acknowledge I liked it less than how good it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I felt like I, I got very bored by how the plot just kept meandering all over the place and had unnecessary chase scenes, which if you want Jan to hate a movie, stick an unnecessary chase scene in it. That'll make me either A, fall asleep or B, walk away because boring. Yeah, and that's definitely um, an aspect of you personally, your taste. Yeah, exactly. But I did like a lot of like the little funny moments, like the stupid German horses yeah. I don't know. They were funny and stupid. And like, there were just a few, visu- several visual gags that were just like, there's a woman watering her plants and Ferdinand walks by and she is scared until she accidentally waters the cat and the cat like freaks out. And like, it's just a stupid little visual gag, but it makes me laugh. And there are several of those in this movie. Yeah. I, for some reason, was kind of expecting this movie to be good. Oh, I no. don't know why. I was, uh, <laughs> I saw trailers for it and I like, I love the book. Yeah. I mean, this book is a classic. It's It was written in the 30s. It's amazing. So for a picture book to exist that long has to be good and it is. And so for some reason I was kind of expecting some good out of it that wasn't quite there. No. But I was looking for it. Yeah. I was looking for the serious good. And maybe it was there and maybe it wasn't. But I agree that, yeah, it had some dragging and some, like, yeah. just, yeah, I would not, in terms of rewatchability, nope. I do not care to rewatch this. Yeah, me too. If our kids rewatched it, I would just, like, wander away, I'm sure. <laughs> um, do you have any more to say about... No enjoyment. So let's get into the way, way, way too, too, too serious portion of our show. 
let's indeed. You said uh, that the book had you looking for some serious good in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to kind of briefly address, I don't want to go too much into the book, uh, except just to say that the book is both good and seriously good. Mm-hmm. And it's like both very good and very seriously good. And I think that some of the seriously good of the book, in my judgment, mostly accidentally <laughs> transferred into this movie. Yeah. And so, also just like to digress a tiny bit, the book was written in the 30s. So to say like, oh, it was a different time in 1994 when something was on. No, no, this book was written in the 30s and it actually has better politics than the movie that is coming out in 2017. Yep. <laughs> just putting that out there. Yep. And when 10 years from now, people, anyone talks about this movie and they were like, oh, there's some uh, toxic things, but it was a different time. No, that's garbage, and it's not an excuse. Agreed. That's kind of a pet peeve of both of ours, eh? Yep. So what about either, do you want to, like, talk about what you were looking for from the book, or do you want to talk about uh, what you found in the movie? Where would you like to start talking about this movie way too seriously? Well, I would like to mention that the bo- the book is about a bull who chooses not to fight. Yes. And it's about a bull who chooses not to be aggressive. And so it's uh, it's against traditional toxic masculinity. It's against violence. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking for that in this movie. Is, is this a movie that shows a different perspective? Uh, a movie that shows that fighting is not the answer and kind of kind of i think there's two like you said two different things that i think are really are two different things and they're Mm -hmm. tied to each other and i think part of the problem quality wise with this movie is that they weren't clear which of these two things or maybe some other things were the point of their movie because there are a few different serious points in that you could take from the book. And I think to make this a good movie, they needed to decide what was important for them. Yeah. And they couldn't. Mm-hmm. Like I sent you, I thought as the movie was first starting, I said like, this movie had better be about toxic masculinity or there is no order in this chaotic universe. <laughs> uh, and it sort of was. Mm-hmm. Like to the degree that... Like you said, toxic masculinity and you said Mm nonviolence. And I think that there's another theme that the movie pulls out that is there in the book and the movie is a little convoluted about, but we should talk about is like the idea of being true to yourself and being weird. Mm -hmm. Um, So what's the deal with masculinity in this movie? And if you want to touch on the book too... Well, this movie is about bulls, and so you can't get away from it being about maleness, mm-hmm. because there's no female bulls, obviously. There are apparently male cows in the cartoon world, but we're not going to get into that. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, if you don't know what I mean, uh, hit me up on Twitter and I'll talk to you about male cows. Um, the So the fundamental part of this is this male world where they are 
trained from birth to fight. Mm-hmm. This They're trained from the moment they're born to, to fight. And if you resist that, if you're not in with that, you're wrong, you're weird, you're feminine because you like flowers instead. Mm-hmm. And that is something to be ashamed of. And the book celebrates the difference. And I'm not sure if the movie does. Do you think? Well, yeah, I think in the, one of the reasons why the book is so impactful is that it's uh, ambiguous and subtle. Mm -hmm. Like, and in the movie, what they had the opportunity to do is actually um, flesh that out and label it. Yeah. And they kind of backed off of it. So, like, the ranch with all the bulls uh, trained to fight and the words that we don't hear till later in the movie, but that we can apply backwards to the beginning of the movie is like, you're either a fighter or you're meat. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that, it, as you say, it's obviously gendered. It was gendered in the book. Yeah. Because he's a bull. And because uh, it is in the book and kind of in the movie, addressing like machismo culture mm-hmm. and uh, aggressive masculinity and why a bull rather than any other animal because it's like aggressive in a macho stereotype. And why does he want to smell flowers rather than any other activity? Because smelling flowers is not just passive. It's passive in a feminine way. No one in the movie calls him, addresses his masculinity directly. Yeah. I'm not sure whether that's good or bad. Uh, I'm not sure whether I would like it better if they did. I Mm -hmm. think probably it's better that they didn't. Uh, But maybe not. I think, though, what they should have done, what would have really helped in the theme, is to address their masculinity directly. Mm-hmm. Not by contrasting it with uh, imagined femininity. Yeah. Right? And they don't ever do that. It's like the movie doesn't notice that all the bulls are, are male. Mm-hmm. Um, so, all the way through, this uh, machismo, bully, tough, fight, aggressive... Uh, attitude is associated with the bulls and Ferdinand because he doesn't conform to that is like ostracized by the other bulls. Um, They don't play up very much. I mean, in the, in the, it feels in the movie, like the flowers are a holdover from the book that they're uncomfortable with. They bring up the flowers every once in a while, and then they kind of forget that Ferdinand's supposed to care about flowers. Yeah, exactly. Right? And that's, I think, flowers are coded feminine. And one of the subtexts of the theme could have been about him, uh, you know, being unthreatened by doing things that are coded feminine about challenging the macho toxic uh, atmosphere of mm-hmm. masculinity. And they, I think don't address it uh, with enough purpose mm-hmm. to land that. Yeah. And the other thing that's going on throughout the movie and 
the source material too, is this kind of overlapping theme of nonviolence, which isn't necessarily gendered as, like, if you talk about nonviolence. And this is where I was disappointed in this movie. Mm -hmm. Why? Why? Because in the book, it's just like, they take him to the bullfighting ring, and all he does is sit down and smell flowers. Mm -hmm. He doesn't do any fighting whatsoever. And in the movie, he goes to the bullfighting ring, and he fights for a while. Because they're poking him, because they've blinded him with a scarf or whatever. But he still does it. He still does the violent thing because he can't help it. Yep. And finally, he does eventually sit down. But I was really disappointed to see him fighting in a movie that comes from this root of nonviolence and of him not wanting to fight. I wanted him to just sit there. And And they took away from that message by playing up the goofiness. Yeah, totally. I totally agree. And even setting aside the book, like in the movie, they have him say he doesn't want to fight. He's not going to fight. He doesn't like fighting. And yet all through the movie, not just at the ending, he's continually successfully goaded into fighting. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and they probably don't, the filmmakers probably don't think that he was goaded into fighting because they don't think of what he does as fighting. But he's continually goaded into charging and stung, because in the book he does it once when he's stung by a bee. Mm-hmm. So in the movie, he has it like 12 times yeah. that like he's poked by something and he goes off and stampedes around and destroys stuff. And like, and then when we finally get to the end... Like the moment where the cape is on his horn and the matador is chasing after him and like their roles are reversed. So the matador is chasing him with two pokey sticks like their horns. Yeah. And Ferdinand keeps dodging out of the way like he's a toreador. Like he's the matador, I mean. Is like kind of visually fun reversal. Mm. But absolutely undermines the idea of the story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Even if I didn't know the book. Yeah. Like I absolutely. thought you said he wasn't going to fight. Mm-hmm. This is fighting. What he's yeah. doing right now is fighting. And they try to kind of defang that a little bit by having him be like cluelessly fighting. Like he's not aware that he's fighting. He's just trying to get the cape off his corn. But that just makes it more like stupid. Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't solve the serious problem. It just adds a plot problem that like. It's okay to, or even it adds a serious problem, like, what, it's okay to fight as long as you're so much bigger that they can't hurt you? Mm-hmm. That's what this movie is telling me. Yeah. Right? That if you are so physically dominant that you can humiliate your opponent, that's what you should do instead of engaging in fights. Yeah. Right? And even, like, he fights with the other bull mm-hmm. and breaks his horn off. Yeah. And it's... I I shared your disappointment. I really wanted this to be a movie about nonviolence and about uh, toxic masculinity. And both of those ideas, it kind of half-hearted. Yeah. Um, the other thing it was about that it kind of half-heartedly waved at was, once again, in a movie with animals for children they have to acknowledge that we eat animals Mm -hmm. or some of us eat animals who are not vegetarian or vegan. 
And so it was very like, this is your vegan propaganda or vegetarian propaganda here that like these precious bulls go off to uh, the slaughterhouse if they're Mm. not good bulls. And that's horrific. And on one level, I agree with that. On another level, I do choose to eat meat and have reasons for that. So it's just kind of, I don't know, necessarily not a complaint or an accolade, just a comment again about like how these, that movies often are inadvertently vegetarian propaganda or on purpose, not Or sure. they're thoughtless vegetarian propaganda, yeah, exactly. I think. Yeah. And like, let's talk about animal rights and animal wel- welfare in this movie, because there's two aspects of it, right? Mm-hmm. There's the bulls that go off to the slaughterhouse and there's the bullfight. Yeah. Like... Is bullfighting, according to this movie, is the lesson of this movie that bullfighting is cruel and uh, cruel to the animals? Because for a couple of, every once in a while, it seems to acknowledge that, yes, in a bullfight, we kill the bull and that's cruel. And then it goes back again to like, oh, but it's a fun thing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And also this. The slaughterhouse is like, it feels like once again, the movie is trying to half-heartedly say something about uh, the welfare of animals, but not really purposefully, because really they're motivated by wanting to put the animals in peril, mm-hmm. not by actually believing anything about the morals of killing and eating animals. Mm-hmm. And it comes through because the... Well, first of all, because you have to change the reality and like, this isn't something to get too hung up on, I guess, but we don't eat, uh, like bulls, we eat, uh, gelded bulls that aren't aggressive because the testosterone changes the flavor of the meat. Mm -hmm. So none those bulls wouldn't be. Can I just also point out that a family who stumbled across a baby bull calf uh, and took him to their barn would not let him grow up in their family without gelding him. Yeah, that too. Um, That's just what happens. So that's maybe more realism than we need. That is a bit more realism than we need. I'm just pointing out that, yeah. Them going to the slaughterhouse, they have to be unrealistic because that's not a realistic uh, prospect for these bulls, mm-hmm. right? So they have to do it because they want to add extra peril. Yeah. But then once they've done that, they then have to back away again because it can't be a real slaughterhouse. Like, why is this slaughterhouse keeping the bulls for weeks and weeks? That makes no sense. No, exactly. And then that they're raising issues that they do not want to raise Mm -hmm. of like, so these six bulls escape and are happy. And then what? Like the bullfight continues. Yeah. No bulls are ever going to go to the slaughterhouse again. We don't care about those other bulls. Like, you're yep. raising issues you're not prepared to deal with in both of the slaughterhouse and the bullfight. Mm-hmm. And the bullfight, by making it, it is a bit of a catch-22 because by really addressing some but not all of the literal realities of a bullfight, rather than kind of allowing it to be metaphorical for violence in general... You're raising these animal cruelty issues that you are not prepared to address, mm-hmm. you know? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's basically where I, how I feel about all that stuff mm-hmm. is that they're raising issues that they then are not at all interested in addressing. And I would rather they didn't. You know what I mean? Yep. So going back a little bit to uh, masculinity in this episode, uh, in terms of female characters, this movie does not pass the Bechdel test. It has three female characters, mm-hmm. none of whom interact with each other at all. You have the goat, the uh, porcupine, no, the hedgehog, and the little girl. Mm-hmm. None of them interact with each other. And like, weirdly, the hedgehogs don't ever talk to the goat. Yeah. Like, uh, Una. Oh, uh, maybe they do. They talk about the flower. But I don't know if they have a conversation. Una with doesn't other. talk to the I don't think goat, Una whatever her name is. Yeah. That like the Una is the one of the hedgehogs who talks the most. But whenever someone is talking to the goat, it's not her. Mm-hmm. Uh, they give the male hedgehogs the voice when they're going to talk to the female goat. Mm-hmm. And the Una, the hedgehog, talks to Ferdinand. Yep. And I paid attention. It's like, they don't talk to each other. Not even, like, an exchange, a back and forth. Hmm. Oh, one of the horses is female. You're naming. She's still... Oh, yes. That's still... She doesn't talk to any... uh, Yeah. To the goat would be the only one she would have an opportunity to, and she doesn't. Mm Mm-hmm. But just, there's one more actress. There's one more female character. Yeah. Is that... Are the... Horses saying something about masculinity and femininity as well, and about sexuality. Explain. The, because we have these, like all the cat, all the bulls are male, and then ha- uh, then two out of three of the horses are male, but the horses are very effeminate and then doing their little dances and their little... And they're very delicate, horsey things. And it's kind of coded like horses are delicate flowers and bulls are, you know, angry whatevers. But they're all male, save for one horse. Mm-hmm. So is that showing a different side of maleness? Or is that just something to make fun of? I think it is another inadvertent thing. Yeah. I think it is inadvertently showing another side of maleness and encouraging us to mock it. Hmm. So that the horses are... I mean, the horses, we, the audience, are meant to uh, despise and mock the horses. But for the exact same reason that the, character, that the other bulls mock and look down at Ferdinand. Mm-hmm. Because they're not tough and they're not, uh, they're, and they make them unlikable by making them, you know, sneering and whatever. Mm -hmm. But the German accents and the like, they they give them these German accents that are very, the kind of whiny fake German accent that is, oh, I can't believe it. It's like, uh, like Euro effeminate. Mm Mm-hmm. In contrast with masculine American. Yeah, even though they're all in Spain. Even though they're all in Spain. But you like, 
there's stereotypes in America that Europeans are weak and mm-hmm. uh, namby-pamby and prissy. Yeah. And so the horses have European accents and are namby-pamby and prissy. And it's the same as the uh, the the real parallel it draws suddenly in my mind is the German uh, a cappella team from Pitch Perfect 2. Yep, that's exactly who I thought of. In fact, I thought maybe they were the same voices, but I don't think they are. I don't think they are. But it's the same, like, the stereotype of Germanness used to be, like, uh, uber-aggressive, and now it's become, like, uber-fey, and uh, that is, I think, a specifically American stereotype of masculinity. Mm-hmm. That Europeans do masculinity masculinity wrong. Yes, absolutely. And these horses do masculinity wrong. And mm-hmm. that's actually really undermines one of the potential messages of the movie. I hadn't really noticed how the horses complicate and undermine things, but I think you're dead on to draw attention to them. Yeah. I just, I'm surprisingly disappointed for, to take a book, albeit a very short one, that shows such a message of acceptance and inclusion and frankly, like, can be an, uh, I don't know what the word is, but a story to look up to, to look towards for trans and gay rights of, like, look at this alternative. You don't have to be like everyone of your gender, everyone of your, Mm -hmm. you know, just in general, that idea was so positive, is so positive in the picture book. And it's disappointing how absent it is from this movie. Yeah. And I don't know what I was expecting, but I was not expecting it to be this. And then, so I was sad. And the other, like, we, there's, a, there's a fourth kind of theme that's muddying the water that's kind of tied into the other ones that they push half-heartedly, which is just the general theme of it's okay to be a weirdo. Mm-hmm. And that also, that like, I felt like part of what muddied the waters is they were trying to push this, like, it's okay to be a weirdo in whatever way you are. Um... And that's fine and good, but that's like, just be true to yourself is a message we've seen a billion times and movies never really mean it. <laughs> yeah. And Ferdinand has the possibility of being a much more specific message about uh, what that might look like. Yeah. Right? And so they, they water it down by making it like, in any kind of way, it's okay, you know? Yeah. But I still hope that... A kid seeing this movie will see this bull who sniffs flowers and doesn't want to be violent as uh, a message that it's okay to be different. And I think that that message still exists in this movie. It is muddied, but I would hope that children will be able to see that message. Yeah. Um, In terms of the cast of this movie and diversity that we often bring up, I was really impressed 
the cast is extremely diverse. It got has uh, several actors of color. Yeah, there's actors of color sprinkled throughout the movie. In I mean, still the lead goes to a white man. Yeah, but the supporting cast is quite diverse. Yeah, I just I really just want to call out how we often mention that kind of thing on this podcast, and I appreciate this movie mm-hmm. being diverse. Totally. Um, including the director. Including the director is. Spanish. Um, so, in the end, is this movie good? Is this movie seriously good? Well, it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would say in terms of quality, it's pretty mediocre. Do yeah, we want to go full-on bad? Is it full-on bad? This is what I'm debating with myself. I'm not sure if I want to argue that it's bad or if I want to argue that it's medium. I didn't, in terms of my enjoyment, I want to go down to bad. But if I try to put on objective glasses, I don't know that it's actually as bad as that. I think Except it's kind of medium bad. is. Yeah. So much filler. So much filler. But a fun movie for kids to watch. True. And not terrible for adults to watch. That's true. I think, I think it's, it's medium bad. I'm I'm satisfied with that. Medium bad. So seriously, though. Oof. I mean, we went back and forth on a lot of different things, but I think it's almost good My in terms of seriousness. It, it touches on a lot of very good ideas, but doesn't commit to any of them. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't believe any of them. Yes. And But when I say it doesn't believe any of them, like, the people who made it might. But the movie doesn't end up presenting any of those ideas as if it really believes them. Mm-hmm. And the question that I don't know the answer to is, is it worse, better, or neutral to present seriously good ideas half-heartedly? Like, do I give you credit for the half-heartedness, or do I penalize you for... It, you know? I'm inclined to give credit for trying, for seriously trying. I'm not comfortable calling this seriously good. No, I don't think it's all the way to good. I'm not comfortable calling it seriously bad. So my debate with myself is whether I want to argue for medium or medium good. I am pretty firm on medium good. Okay. Okay. So you have to come meet me at this place. (laughs) (laughs) I'll concede that. All right, then. So you concede to me. We call it medium all around, basically. Medium in the good. Medium bad for goodness. And medium good for seriousness. We're getting really nuanced in these. uh, I know. (laughs) Seriously good and seriously bad things. Basically just a medium movie all around. It is. So if you uh, like your steak medium, then talk to us on Twitter at Jen. W. What? Steak. <laughs> I know that was, that was a joke on the cows. That was too soon. <laughs> well, I sure don't like my steak medium. Good. Rare all the way. <laughs> Moo. <laughs> Moo. <laughs> um, you can add us on Twitter at WTSCast. Or send us 
one of them like super long emails. We love those. Um, way too seriously cast at gmail.com. We also have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash clockworkscast, where you can listen to us, you get some extra spe- special bonus trivia. If you're listening to this on Patreon, you can comment below on the in the comments about the episode. Yeah. There are other ways to support us by just spreading the word, saying, hey, I know this podcast about kids' movies. Let's uh, listen to that together as a family, just for fun. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we try to keep things fairly clean so you could listen with your family and have and ruin the movies for your kids. Yeah, take <laughs> if your kids really love Hotel Transylvania, <laughs> listen to our Hotel Transylvania episode with them. <laughs> or what's the other one we've been really harsh on? The Great Mouse Detective. The Great Mouse Detective. <laughs> I recently went through and and sorted all of our things into what what we've rated them, so I might publish that soon. And yeah, so any feedback you have for us, let us know if you did, especially if you disagree with our rating. That's what we want to hear. Yes, we genuinely would like to hear that. And if even more, if you have reasons, we'd love to hear them. And we won't like be jerks about it. We'll hear your reasons and take them seriously. Good, good one. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, you got, you see what I did there? Yeah. Yeah. So I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. And, and if you think you can solve your problems with violence, I think that's bull. Good one. Ah? Uh, ah? Uh, yeah. Uh, you see what I did there? You see what you did there. Hi, and welcome to Way Too Seriously. The podcast where you watch kids' movies and then take them way too seriously. I'm not ready. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm not ready. (laughs) And this week we're watched and we'll be talking about Ferdinand. Jen, do you want to tell us a bit about this movie? I'm not ready. (laughs) We are starting again. (laughs) You didn't warn me. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.